Question for the room. Anyone here doing a New Year's resolution? Okay, handful of folks, right on. I'm not doing one this year, but I've done a few in the past. One year, I did no processed sugar. Another year, I did, I was focused on budgeting and finances because I was spending way too much money. Um, another year was focused on reading more books because I was destroying all of my brain cells watching Netflix and scrolling through Instagram. Just being honest. Um, now, the reason I don't do New Year's resolutions anymore is because I can get super serious about them. The year I did no processed sugar, for example, I wouldn't even eat those protein bars with one gram of sugar. Um, if someone took time out of their day to make me a sweet treat, I would kindly accept it, then go home and throw it away in the trash. To make matters worse, I started to look down on others who had a lot of sugar in their diets. One time I was in the cafeteria with my teammates after a close loss, I play tennis, and my buddy coped with his sadness by eating sweets. I then turned to him and said, well, maybe if you didn't have so much garbage in your diet, we would have won the match. <laughs> Some words were exchanged. <laughs> Obviously, there's nothing wrong with being serious. I'm serious about my walk with the Lord, about my wife, my work here at UPC, but there's an unhealthy type of seriousness that makes us self-righteous and makes us look down on others. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at in this passage with the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisees were the religious elites who were well-respected in society, and the tax collectors were Jews who partnered with the tyrannical Roman government to steal money from other Jews, and as you can imagine, they were despised in society. So these two dudes walk into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. The Pharisee is serious, but he's the unhealthy type of serious because he looks down on others and he's self-righteous. In Frederick Dale Bruner's commentary on John, he actually refers to the Pharisees as the serious ones. The tax collector, on the other hand, couldn't even look up to heaven, and he beat his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Those of us who have struggled with addiction, like I have, can relate to this tax collector. Sin leads to shame, which leads to isolation, which leads to more sin. And this vicious cycle depletes our souls over time. Eventually, it gets to the point where we don't think there's any hope of getting better. In other words, we hit rock bottom. This tax collector was at rock bottom bottom. So there are our two characters, a Pharisee religious leader who lived a very morally upright life and was well-respected in society, and an unjust tax collector who was despised in society and was at rock bottom. Jesus said the tax collector went home justified while the Pharisee did not.
What does justified mean? Imagine a courtroom where the judge declares the defendant innocent. That's what this word justified means. Jesus declared the tax collector as justified or innocent. He viewed him as if he had never sinned at all. How can this be? It's the upside down kingdom of God. Jesus goes on to say, those who exalt themselves or those who think they are righteous will be humbled and those who humble themselves or those who know they are not righteous will be exalted. These were controversial words back then and if we take time to really think about them, they are controversial to us today. Imagine if a person you despise, let's say your least favorite celebrity, presidential candidate, church leader, family member, etc. Imagine if they came into church and genuinely cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that they were justified. How would that make you feel? Would you rejoice or would you scoff and say, oh, well, if you knew what they've done or what they were really like, you wouldn't have said that. Jesus said the tax collector was justified and it was because of these words that he cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is what true confession looks like. We think of confession as simply sharing the ways we've messed up. God, I messed up today and last week and the week before. I promise I'm gonna do better next week. Um, true confession does involve sharing the ways that we've messed up, but it's more than that. Notice how the tax collector didn't even acknowledge the specific sins that he committed. He didn't say, God, be merciful to me. I stole some money. No, it was more than that. True confession involves a crying out for God's mercy and an acknowledgement that we are sinners. Mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve, and sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark. To be a sinner means that he can't help but to miss the mark. His default mode of being is to miss the mark. Another way of saying the tax collector's words are God. Don't give me the punishment I deserve. My default mode of being is to sin, to miss the mark. And we all miss the mark. Paul writes in Romans, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Now this worldview challenges the secular worldview that's around us, which basically says, Humans and our desires are naturally good. I heard a conversation at a coffee shop the other day where these two guys were talking about all the terrible things happening in the Middle East, all of the corruption in the lives of the U.S. presidential candidates, and then they ended the conversation saying that they believed humans were basically good, but they just get corrupted through systems and materialism. So are humans naturally good? The answer to that question takes faith to believe either way, but my theory is that people who think we are naturally good either A, do not grow with siblings, or B, do not have kids. <laughs> so I have, I have three siblings, and my siblings would tell you that based on their upbringing with me, that we are not naturally good. I was kind of a wild child. And while me and Nat don't 
have kids yet. We've done enough, enough volunteering with kids to make us believe that we are not naturally good. Our default mode of being is to miss the mark, and we desperately need God's mercy. Jesus desires confession like that of the tax collector, yet many of us don't practice confession like that. Why is that? First reason is we don't have a proper understanding of confession. Second reason is fear. So if you're Asian like me, you can become fearful when you think of confession because you associate confession with a wooden spoon spanking. My parents are awesome, by the way. Um, and the third reason is pride. We've all been shaped by social media, not just Gen Z. We're all about Instagram highlight reels and flexing on others. And so when we do something bad, we sweep it under the rug because we don't want others to think less of us. We become prideful as a result. Confession, like that of the tax collector, is an invitation for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and it's a spiritual practice we need most today in the church because it helps us reconcile with one another, it heals our deepest wounds, and it leads us to worship. First, it reconciles us with one another. One of the reasons our families, our churches, and society at large have become so divided is that we've lost our ability to confess. When we lose sight of our own sin, we lose our ability to receive God's forgiveness, and forgive others. To make, our, to make ourselves feel better, we latch onto the sin of other people and we look down on them. In Matthew 7, Jesus calls us to take the log out of our own eye so we can help our brother or sister with a speck in their eye. Not condemn them or judge them, but to help them. Confession helps us take the log out of our own eyes, which makes us agents for reconciliation. When I was younger, I was very self-righteous, very angry. I had a terrible relationship with my father and with my younger brother, and it got to the point where I convinced myself that once I graduated college, I was never going to talk to them again. It was that bad. Then I met Jesus, and he touched my heart of stone with his grace. He forgave me for all that I had done, which gave me a desire to reconcile with them. Instead of pointing fingers at them and listing off all the ways that they fell short, I confessed the ways that I fell short and asked for their forgiveness. And fast forward to today, we have a much better relationship, but it's only because the Holy Spirit was invited in through confession. Next year is an election year. And God's called us to be reconcilers in this politically divided nation. Yes, we still speak up against evil, stand up against injustice, argue and debate, etc. But we resist the temptation to hate others. Confession helps us be reconcilers because instead of it viewing others as enemies to be hated, we view them as fellow sinners to be loved, and who desperately, desperately need Jesus just as much as we do. Amen. Amen. The next thing confession does is it heals our deepest wounds. Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There's a doctor joke that goes something like this. There's a husband and a wife, and the wife's been nagging her husband to see the doctor for 20 years, and after 20 years, he finally caves in, and he goes to see the doctor. Uh, He comes back, and the wife asks him how it went, and he says with a very upset tone, well, I was doing just fine until I saw the doctor. Now I have high blood pressure, diabetes, kidney failure. Timothy Keller says this in his book, King's Cross. Jesus calls people, quote unquote, righteous, who are in the same position spiritually as those who won't go to a doctor. Righteous people believe they can heal themselves, make themselves right with God by being good or moral. They don't feel the need for a soul physician, someone who intervenes and does what they can't do themselves. Jesus is teaching that he has come to call sinners those who know they are morally and spiritually unable to save themselves. When we practice confession, it's like going to the doctor. He diagnoses us, which can be a very painful reality to swallow, but he also heals us. Psalm 30 verse two says, oh Lord, my God, I cried out to you for help and you healed me. One thing I've learned about addiction is that our addictions aren't the problem, they are the symptom. What I mean is that there is a wound deeper than our addiction, let's say an abusive or absent parent, bullying, being taken advantage of, and the pain from that wound leads us to cope with our addiction of choice, alcohol, drugs, porn, social media, entertainment, work, shopping, eating, you name it. When we cry out to God through confession, we invite the Holy Spirit into our deepest wounds and he disinfects it with his mercy. He injects us with a healing serum called grace and he stitches us up with his love. With that being said, I do believe in Christian counseling. They have training and experience to help you um, experience that healing. If you're interested, you can talk to me or another staff member at UBC and we can get you connected. I did regular Christian counseling for four years and it was one of the best investments I've ever made. Jesus is the great physician. He was known for being a healer and he still is. The third thing that confession does is it leads us to worship. What we learn from the Pharisee is that we cannot justify ourselves with good works. The prophet Isaiah says, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. When I was in first grade, I wrote my mom a poem for Mother's Day. I don't remember the whole part, but there was a section that went like this. My mom is so smart, she does not fart. (laughs) To this day, it's still one of my best works. (laughs) So being in first grade, I took this good work and I gave it to my mom. I said, here you go, mom, I love you. And guess what? My good work did not add any value to my mom's life. She did not need my poem. Our attempts to justify ourselves before God 
is like giving your mom a fart poem. Regardless of how good your metaphorical life poem is, it can never justify you. Jesus is the only one who can justify us. When we confess, we're brought back to the courtroom. We remember that we were found guilty in trial, destined for an eternity worse than prison. But Jesus took our place and in doing so, made justification possible to us through faith in him. He took all of our sin, our wounds, our regrets, and he nailed it to the cross. When we let that sink in, it leads us to worship. If you feel like you've been going through the motions in your faith, practicing more confession will expose you to his grace and lead you to more worship. When I first started taking confession seriously, it was terrifying. I had a lot of anticipatory anxiety and fear, but then I would confess and feel the burden of my sin lifted from my shoulders. Instead of it leading to shame, guilt, and condemnation, it produced joy. A joy that comes from inviting God into the darkest parts of your life and realizing he loves you the same. It's the joy of being fully known. David writes this in Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. We can sometimes feel our souls are too dark, too full of sin for God to be with us. But this is not true. John says, in him, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the light that shines in the darkness and overcomes it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now it's time for some frequently asked questions on confession. Number one, do I really need to confess to other people? James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When we invite others into the struggle, we can receive their help, their prayer, encouragement, and accountability. So yes, we do need to confess to others. Second question, who should I confess to? Ideally, someone close to you, someone close to God, and someone close in proximity. Proverbs 27.10 says, when disaster strikes you, better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Me and the staff here at UPC would love to be a safe person you can confess things to. Your small group members are also a great suggestion. And if you're not part of one, strongly encourage you to sign up for one. We'll be, not, we'll be launching them this February. The second answer for who you should confess to is to the lost. Right now, there is a false belief, especially amongst younger people, 
that they need to clean themselves up before they go to church. When we confess our sin to them, they realize they are not alone in their struggles. Confession done well can be a powerful evangelism tool. Okay, I've got some call and response. If this question applies to you, please emphatically say no. Don't you stop sinning when you graduate college. All the college graduates said? No. Don't you stop sinning when you get married. All the married people said? No. Don't you stop sinning when you retire. And all the retired people said? No. Don't you stop sinning when you work for a church. Well, that's awkward. Um, <laughs> in case you're curious, you did not stop sinning once you work for a church. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, we are all in the same boat and we are all seasick. First <laughs> John 110 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So which one is it? Are you a sinner or is God a liar? Here's the application. Practice confession to God daily and confession to another person or persons weekly. I do this with my men's small group, with my wife, and with a handful of accountability partners I have, and it's always a highlight of my week. It can be scary practicing confession at first because we're concerned with what people are gonna think of us if they knew how messed up we really are. And the temptation is to minimize our sin and to justify ourselves like the Pharisee. Oh, overall, I'm good. No big sins, committed. A little better than last week and definitely not as bad as other people. <laughs> Resist that temptation and be honest like the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When we, cry out those, when we cry out those words to Jesus, he smiles. He wipes away our tears. He heals our hearts with his grace. And he says, go in peace. In me, you are clean. In me, you are whole. In me, you are a new creation. In me, you are justified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness, Lord, that you gave to us, though we did not deserve it. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that we are not alone in our struggles. Lord, and I pray over anyone here who might be harboring some sin, Lord. When we bottle it up, it crushes us from the inside out. May we be diligent in confessing it to you and remembering that you are not going to condemn or judge us, Lord. You are going to love and forgive us. I pray for the courage and strength to confess to other people, invite them into the struggle and ask for help, Lord. We pray for a posture of humility like the tax collector. 
God, be merciful to us sinners. We pray these things in your mighty, holy, and precious name, Lord. Amen.